Welcome to the first episode of Shep and Sean Sports Stuff. I'm Andrew Shepard here with my co-host Sean Thompson. Happy to hear. Happy to be here. All right. So I was watching. I want to talk about this documentary. I was watching like a couple little bit ago. It talked about Derrick Henry and his rise to fame through his high school days to college and now being one of the highest paid running backs in the NFL. And it really made me think about how take away the stars like Kamara, Henry, even like Saquon Barkley in a couple years, Zeke Elliott, like it's really hard for running backs to be as consistent as they were. They became easily replaceable. You look at teams like the Chiefs who had the incident with Kareem Hunt and were easily able to find a good replacement in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, it just shows that running backs aren't what they were like from the days of Marshall Falk, Eric Dickerson, Jerome Bettis, all those guys who were pivotal to those teams' success, and now it feels like running backs are easily replaceable. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the, the, the new game that's being played, if the game has changed at all, or what's going on. But, yeah, running backs are definitely not lasting and having uh, as long as careers as they were back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And you look at the game and how it's evolved, it's definitely became more of a passing league, especially with guys like Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. Like, all those guys are pure passers. And they're also, most of the, all those guys have at least some sort of running ability. And then you have Lamar Jackson, who adds a real rushing attack as he's a quarterback in a running back's body, pretty much. Yeah, I think the, I think the mobile quarterbacks are definitely playing a huge part in this, just you know, these running backs maybe aren't getting enough carries to stay in the league, or if, when they are, they're just, you know. It's always the second contracts. You have your big contracts. You have your Ezekiel Elliott's. You have your Alvin Kamara's. You have your Derrick Henry's. You have those star guys. Dalvin Cook just got paid recently. You have those star guys, which they're superstars, right? They're, you really expect that. But then you have the Le'Veon Bell situation. For the NFL, that was just really unique in how, like, he held out, it failed, he goes to Pitts, he, go, he goes to the Jets, and basically doesn't even have a 100-yard game there at all his, during his tenure now. He's a backup on the Chiefs. And I think it just shows, I mean, you can look at Melvin Gordon with the same situation, too. Was fantastic with the Chargers, was the Wisconsin product, really came and had a great career with the Chargers, had his, and then last year held out. And now goes to Denver and is playing $8 million a year on like a two-year deal in the same system he was in last year with the Chargers. Yeah, I don't know if injuries play a part in this or just the fact that they, they can't get the money that they're looking for, but yeah, these uh, these running backs are definitely hitting a, hitting a wall you know, deep into their, or like middle part of their career with the teams that they've been with for a while. They're so easily replaceable. I mean, you'll, have, you'll always have your first round running backs, but this year the first running back selected was Clyde Edwards, was Clyde Edwards Hilaire with the 32nd pick. And there are guys like DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, who were just kind of like Zach Moss, Cam Akers, like all those guys who are, all of them besides Edwards Hilaire, not really regular starters, but they get their reps. It's so easy to find starting caliber running backs in those mid rounds. I saw a stat where first round running backs have around like 62 touchdowns so far through the season. Third and fourth. 
third, it's like second, third, and fourth round running backs have like over 118 touchdowns. I'm pretty sure, and undrafted and sixth and seventh rounders are around in the 80s. So it just shows how those middle rounds where guys like Kamara, Henry, were all selected. Like that's where they make their bang for the buck. Gone are the days of running backs being drafted in the top 10 unless they're generational talents. And the only one that's really been exceptional is Ezekiel Elliott. Barkley's dealt with some injury concerns. We know how up to what level he can be. But you look like Leonard Fournette. He had a one good year and then he flopped because the injury bug. And I think it goes back to what Sean was saying. Like As a running back, you take – if you're a workhorse running back, you get 25 carries a game. That takes a toll on you. I don't care who you are. Every running back – has dealt with some sort of hamstring or rib injury their entire career. I think we're starting to see more these days in this in this new generation of running quarterbacks also multiple running backs getting the same amount of snaps instead of, you know, just one big star mm-hmm. taking, you know, 30 some carries each game like for the Ravens for example, you know, they have Mark Ingram, JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards, they're all sharing the load and dividing up so I think that will help with some of the injuries yeah Mark Ingram and when he was in New Orleans he had well he had Camara, he had Darren Sproles for a little bit like it's a committee idea and the Ravens handled the Mark Ingram situation very well not being able to get Le'Veon Bell signing Mark Ingram to a reasonable contract for two years and now he's definitely regressed to some extent they have their running back of the future who jk dobbins is very very similar to um mark ingram and how they just play a hard nose downhill runner who can be a threat out of the backfield yeah i think definitely a threat out of the backfield is a is a new style that these running backs have to pick up in their game because as you said earlier it's more of a passing league so Mm -hmm. Um, these running backs definitely need to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield and make plays that way as well as running. So it's something that they need to learn to stay with the modern game. And I think the reason for running backs becoming so easily replaceable and becoming more of not like not liabilities, but becoming like you can get you can trade a running back or just not sign them and draft a guy and just groom the rookie because it's harder. I think it's harder for other positions because, like, running routes, it takes more precision. And I'm not taking – not saying the running back position doesn't take any skill. It does. But if you can find a guy that runs hard and works hard and can do multiple things in the offense besides be a guy who can just run the ball up the middle for four yards every single play, you need to have guys who can go out of the backfield. And if you can find that, it's pretty common for most running backs now. They're more of receivers than running backs at this point. And that just adds a whole nother dynamic to all the offenses, which in the 90s and 80s, like Marshall Falk really brought in that new era of, okay, I could do it all. Like the, he, like, and then you got the Christian McCaffreys who are running, who are wide receivers. And Ed McCaffrey was a star wide out for the Broncos with John Elway during their dynasty in the 90s. And you see he is that combina- Christian McCaffrey has that combination of being able to be a th- serious threat out of the backfield along with his ability to take 19 to 20 carries per game. But as we've seen this year, he injured himself. And he did it again in week 8 versus the Chiefs. Yeah, I think this new generation of running backs need to, if they want to be the stars in the league that we've seen, they need to 
um, be able to run the ball 20 times a game, but yet even go out wide and line up as a receiver and be able to catch the ball there just the way this game's moving. And you need to be able to do it without a offensive line. You have to be able to make your own yards rather than have to rely on your offensive line to make holes every single time or else you're not going to be anything valuable. You have to be able to make your own space. And, like, running backs, I'll tell you, they are mostly known, and everyone really knows how irreplaceable they are due to just the fact of fantasy football and how it's been around for a while, and it's just recently, it just seems like the NFL is making it more catering towards, like, Red Zone. That's catering to fantasy fans. They have fantasy updates throughout. They check in all the games. Yeah, I think that's definitely these days more people watch football because of fantasy instead of you know just mm-hmm. rooting for their only t- their team mm-hmm. and so um uh fantasy definitely has a, a big part to play with these running backs um yeah because most of the time running backs are like prime fantasy guys like you can have your top especially if you're in a non-ppr type of league you have those guys that are studs you have like this year's draft, Barkley, McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, Henry, Sanders was in the top ten. I think Clyde Edwards-Helaire. That was your like top seven running backs, right there. And um, they get hurt. And the term that you hear a lot in fantasy football is a handcuff. Like the top handcuff, I believe, in the NFL right now is Alexander Madison or Latavius Murray. And you just like look at those guys. It shows how. People draft handcuffs because of just looking at how it impacts the running back position. And I think fantasy football just continues and helps support that point even more. Like, you look at it, NFL viewership, like, gen, our generation just isn't very keen on watching live sports, which the viewing ratings are going to go down, but with fantasy football, daily fantasy, people are allowed to put money into it. Yeah. They're all up. I think that's the league's trying to promote fantasy football more when you're watching the game to to get these young viewers into the game and hopefully hook them on. And um, we we see fantasy playing a a part in in the game because, for example, the other day Nick Chubb, um, <laughs> he was uh, about to score, and uh, he ended up going out at like the one yard line late in the game. And there were a lot of people upset that had him on their fantasy team mm-hmm. because they lost a touchdown, and which could affect their team. So, yeah. I saw one guy who was on Instagram. He bet on Texans, like, a, a four over-under. So either the Browns, like, that's how they over Like, they win by four or lose by four. And um, when Chubb, Chubb could have scored, he would have lost the bet, right? But he ran out of bounds. Now he ran out of bounds to stop the clock, make it so they could just take the knee and end the game and not give the Texans any chance of scoring a touchdown, getting a two-point conversion, getting the onside kick and hit kicking the field goal for the win. And, like, I understand it, and that's something the Falcons were unable to do with Todd Gurley. But um, it just shows how people care. It seems like people care more about fantasy football than the actual game. They follow it. They see, oh, he's really good. Like, And then they play their favorite team, and that's always like a dilemma I hate running into. Kind of because I know my team really good, so I kind of it's better when you play your team because you can adjust your lineup accordingly, but it's always hard. Yeah, as a, as a Ravens fan, when you have um, 
when you have players on teams like the Steelers, the Browns, you know these rival teams, it's it's kind of hard to root for them sometimes. And you know you got you kind of have to pick. Or, are you rooting for them because you're a team or because you're a fantasy football league that mm-hmm. you're in? Yeah, you see, um, oh, like the thing is, oh, I have him in fantasy. I mean, don't be wrong. The competitiveness of fantasy football has been great for just everybody in general, the game, the culture, and developing the game. But I feel like it makes it more like, I don't know how to put it. It makes it more like um, like people care less about their team. That takes away the, um, I'm going to root for my team till death. I don't care about anything else. All I care about is my team wins. And now that mentality is if my fantasy team wins and my team wins, it's a good day. But if my fantasy team loses and I have a – and my, my like the Ravens win, let's say, that's – it's – you know, you're still like – it's still sour. But at the end of the day, your team's winning is more toward – is better for the general public. Yeah, I think, again, going back to the point earlier of our generation not really watching live sports, I think – this fantasy football gives them the opportunity to watch multiple games at one time and keep them really intrigued for you know a couple hours instead of having to watch one game with a bunch of stops in it they can watch red zone and literally have a play every second that they're interested in I look, and don't get me wrong I like red zone but I will never watch red zone over my fan over my ravens I'll never have Red Zone on and just check the Ravens game through the ESPN app. It's always, and it should be, Ravens or whatever your favorite team is over fantasy football. But I understand it, and fantasy football has been around since, like, the 80s. And I love it. I look forward to it, and it's fun to research and act like a general manager of a team. But when at, when do you get to the point where it takes away from the game? When does it take away from watching your team in the final two minutes have to march down the field. Yeah, I think I think our generation is very big on being into things, and this gives them the opportunity to, you know, make trades with other people, mm-hmm. really be hands-on instead of, you know, just being a fan and watching the game. They can, mm-hmm. in a way, be involved with it a little more. Yeah, I think, in, I think also our generation is a little bit selfish. As in, they can benefit from this. Now, don't get me wrong. When your team wins a championship, you're on cloud nine. It's it's amazing. And um, I remember 2012, they won. I didn't play fantasy football that year. And I remember that championship run as vividly as possible. And I remember where I was. And it's just things like that. And with fantasy football, people, some people are more worried about what's going on with these other guys and how their points are compared to the game on the field. Yep. But that's the world we live in. I think... You know, if you want to compare maybe your team winning the championship to maybe you winning your fantasy football league, I think it doesn't even compare. Um, Your team's championship is 100 times better and something that you'll remember for a while. Mm -hmm. Now, with fantasy football, you could have, you know, money maybe on the line. That's where some people may make the argument. But for me, nothing compares to my team winning the championship. No, and I'm not – we aren't here to discredit fantasy football. I love it. I love putting hundreds of do- hundreds of dollars on it each year and being competitive with my friends and having rivalries, making trades, and having to just manage a team is fun. But at the end of the day, fantasy football wouldn't be a thing without actual football. It wouldn't exist 
without the game being played every single Sunday, giving us all something where we can relax and take a break from the game and just relax from life almost. And that's what football is, and fantasy football helps develop that. But at the end of the day, before you play fantasy football, you should have a real appreciation for the game itself and for your team rather than focusing on drafting a team and potentially winning money. Yep. And um, you see with these younger guys, and like I don't, I've always thought about do these younger guys play fantasy football or not, and definitely considering the development of social media, how you can see like these rookies doing their thing, and you have rookie of the year candidate Chase Claypool on TikTok making videos and stuff like that, and that I think stuff like that really helps, and I personally think Chase Claypool could be an easy rookie of the year finalist. Yeah, I and, mean these uh. These, these younger athletes definitely are more interactive with people on social media and really put themselves out there more, like mm-hmm. you see with Chase Claypool and Juju on TikTok. Yeah. And but I mean Chase Claypool, you know, as a Ravens fan, I have to give him credit. He's having a great year. I mean, as a third round pick, not m- many people were thinking he could be offensive rookie of the year, but there, there's a really good chance he could. Mm-hmm. He's um. I don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers whatsoever, especially at how our game with them ended and how Cameron Hayward flopped and then Willie Snead got interfered with. But, I mean, do you think there's anybody competing with Chase Claypool for the rookie year in the AFC? For Offensive Rookie of the Year, do you think? Right off the top of my head, no, not right now. Not the impact that he's made, not the headlines he's made, no. But you have to also look at the guys like Burrow and Herbert. I I think... They get discredited because of the teams they're on. They're not as on, mm-hmm. you know, high power teams like the Steelers who are undefeated. So I think maybe if you put them on a different team, they would be in the conversation, but just not not right now. Well, with Justin Herbert coming into the draft, he could have gone in. He went came back to Oregon for his senior year, which to me kinda of looked at oh, he's very loyal to the team, he cares about it and watching him at Oregon, he was inconsistent. He could never really have a consistent day. He had his good days, don't get me wrong. He could fling a ball farther than anybody on this planet. But he was inconsistent, and that might have been due to the team around him, might do the coaching around him. And San Diego had better weapons. L.A. had better weapons than um, he did at Oregon just due to the talent level of the NFL. But... I mean, Herbert has Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry, Mike Williams. He has a solid offensive line. He has a top 10 defense when healthy. And you look at Joe Burrow, he has T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. That's that's it. And if we look at Tua, I mean, I think it's kind of early to evaluate him because, you know, he's only been playing for a couple weeks now, just taking over for Fitzpatrick. But he's looked great for what is it, three weeks he's been playing now? I don't think he's lost yet. And I'll tell you what it is, and that's something that's with, with the Chargers. Brian Flores, is he won the least talented roster last year. They won five games. They got it handed to him by the Ravens in week one, and they just fell apart since then. I didn't even think they were going to win a game. And it just shows how important coaching is in this league. But if you look at a guy, this is why I think uh, it's going to come down to either Claypool or Herbert for the Offensive Rookie of the Year in the AFC, or in, in the league. Herbert's a beast. Anthony Lynn has shown time and time again the Chargers cannot finish games. 
I don't know why they would be 6-3 and three at this point if they won all their close games. They lost the last second game to Denver on a K.J. Hamler touchdown reception in the corner of the end zone. They lost to the Raiders due to an incomplete pass by a beautiful throw by Justin Herbert. They took the Chiefs all the way to the end. They took the Chiefs to the end. They, they play the teams hard, but they can't finish at the end. And for when you have a rookie quarterback, you have to mentor him. And I don't think Anthony Lynn has done a good job at that. But that should be why I think Herbert wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah, we can't we can't say that it's his fault necessarily, uh, and we can't just look at the record either because that doesn't no say that doesn't anything. say the whole story. So we need to look at his performance week in and week out, and you have a case for him there. Mm-hmm. Defensively, Defensive Rookie of the Year wise, that's more challenging. You can look at Patrick Queen for that. A guy coming out of LSU who I loved out of the draft. I like Kenneth Murray a lot too, but Patrick Queen definitely fit the role that would have a hole filled by Patrick Owasso leaving for the Jets. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people thought Chase Young, you know, second overall pick, a lot of hype around him, but he's had injuries this year and the Redskins have been very poor. So yeah, I, I like Queen too. He's been great in the middle, uh, middle of our defense, very fast, physical. Mm-hmm. So you can make a case there. Um, yeah, he's brought a level of speed to the defensive end. And, yeah, it's hard for the Raven, and especially after their game against the Patriots, which he did not have his finest game. I saw him miss multiple tackles. And um, I think – but here's the thing. When you look at offensive players versus defensive players, a lot of people can go based off solely of stats. And you can do that for whatever. And stats don't lie, but stats don't tell you the full picture. And just by watching Patrick Queen, I like him. He's going to be good for the future, but I don't see him as a rookie year candidate. I think Chase Young has the name recognition, and when he's healthy, he wrecks havoc. And I don't know if you can really blame injury on him. You can't really blame injury on anybody. Most of those injuries are freak injuries unless you do something really stupid. Yeah, there's other names in there. Jeff Okuda went to Detroit, but that's Detroit again, so he hasn't looked the best. Um, Derek Brown went to the went to the Panthers. Isaiah Simmons, I, I think, has looked pretty well in there for he's Arizona. Turned, he's turned it on. I remember he had that big interception versus the Seahawks, which could yeah. desperately use him on his defense. I'll tell you that. Seahawks' defense has been terrible. And it's held the whole team back. And it just really shows how you can be, you can have a top bottom 10 offense. If you have a top five defense, you're able to make these games competitive. And um, I don't think Patrick Queen, I think the Ravens defense has star talent, but I think you give him five years down the road, I think he can get you to that point, but I don't see him as a rookie of the year candidate yet. I mean, if we're looking at a player that can turn it on at any moment and can really impact the game and make your team a winning team, I would say Chase Young still. Even though he's had many injuries, he's still a player that can you know change the game at any second. Definitely, he's really good at he's good at what he does. He was great at what he did in college, and Ohio State just has a knack at building these all-pro defensive ends. They have a knack at it. Yeah, uh, Nick Bosa. Bosa, the Bosa brothers. Well, yeah, both of them. You're right. And um, those programs do really good with getting these guys ready for the draft. I think that goes more into recruiting and stuff like that, but. Do you think Ohio State has 
is the best college football school for producing talent, or do you, I mean, I think Bama's up there. They've had some, Bama's a football some, academy. Some great college to pro players in and recent years. Goes back to like Derrick Henry, and like they've had Heisman running backs. They've had Mark Ingram too. Mark Ingram. They have Mac Jones this year, who's really taken his like, taken an unexpected next step up, especially with covid and all that that adds a huge huge impact to how these teams run their schedule how they can work it and that's something you have to take in consideration too for the rookie of the year a lot of these guys didn't have the preseason i think the preseason is pivotal so um it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the year plays out thank you for listening in today i'm andrew shepherd and i'm sean thompson and we will see you guys later